Welcome to Rocketship, the podcast where web developers learn the skills and secrets to ship awesome mobile apps. I'm Simon Grimm, creator of Galaxies.dev, and today's guest is Brendan Austin, who's a software engineer passionate about weightlifting and sports, especially baseball, I don't know why, and he's trying to become a solopreneur. So welcome to the show, Brendan. Thank you. Thank you. Really, really pleased to be here. Yeah, uh, we, we made it, although I really hate time zones. Once again, it confirms why I hate time zones. So, Brendan, book uh, an appointment in my calendar. I think you said you were in Mexico? Yeah, last week uh, or two weeks ago, I was in Mexico. Um, I originally booked it for 7 a.m. thinking it was Pacific Standard, and um, – <laughs> I actually booked it for 5 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. I, I, I vote so much for like a world clock. I don't know how the concept could be could work out, but I hate these time zones. It's always such a pain in the backside. I, I, can we just get rid? Also, like we, we changed clocks, I think, two weeks ago, and then we're on winter time, and the U.S. is not yet on winter time, so everyone's just confused. Yeah, it is really confusing. We also changed clocks uh, just this past Sunday, actually. <laughs> uh, so... Yeah, it seems like um, there is no global. Uh, there should be some type of global clock that every, I mean, everybody can reference. Maybe we can like use the moon time or, or some some standard like that. I don't know. I I heard concepts. Moon time. Yeah, something like that. So uh, I saw on your profile on Twitter that you went from uh, a PT personal trainer to software engineer in 19 months. Um, so I think you can uh, best describe what you currently do. Uh, and, and, and why you actually made that change and where you come from. So give us the, the story. That, that's going to be an epic story. I mean, you could like write a, a very viral post about how I became a successful software engineer in 18 months. Yeah, uh, that's been on the back burner. I know that uh, I definitely need to write more about that. Um, it's, it's just, it's crazy how fast um, it happened for me. Um, so, yeah, like you said, I was working as a personal trainer full-time um, at a really popular uh, gym in, in the States called Equinox. I don't know if you guys have those over there in, in um, Germany yet. Isn't that like the, the, the Latin word for a horse? Equi Equinox. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know about that. Uh, I, I don't think we have that brand here. <laughs> okay, gotcha. Yeah, yeah. It might be strictly an American brand then uh, – but it was, it's a really uh, popular gym here. Um, a lot of type A individuals uh, work out there. And, um, you know, I was, I was young, still trying to figure out what it is I wanted to do. I had dropped out of uh, college. I went to junior college for like four years, finally transferred to a university and still didn't really know what I wanted to do. I think at the time I was studying nutrition and then just realized that it wasn't worth my time or money. So... Uh, I went personal training full time, and the clients that I were training were mostly uh, tech based. Um, I, you know, I was training out of uh, out of the Silicon Valley, and as you can imagine, um, a lot of these people I, I had uh, um, clients who were working for Microsoft, uh, mm -hmm. um, Workday, uh, Google, a lot of other smaller companies as well. And uh, there was one client in particular who really piqued my interest. Um, he had been a software engineer; I think he was a manager at the time. Um, and he had been working in the industry for about 10, 12 years, was a happy guy. Um, uh, he had a family. Um, I really just appreciated his lifestyle and I, I kind of looked up to him and I, I started asking him questions. He was a Python engineer and that was the first language that I learned and it did pique my interest. Uh, although I never actually 
used Python in a production environment at all. Um, I quickly learned that web development was what I wanted to get into. Um, I just love the idea of being able to um, design something and then turn it into uh, real life for other people to appreciate. And so that's how I got my foot in the industry. I just studied you know, the basic HTML, CSS, JavaScript stuff. And uh, I got a job at a startup after about, I wanna say 18 months of studying. Um, it's probably worth mentioning. Um, uh, yeah, my, my first job I actually got um, during COVID. So a lot of that time when I was studying to become a software engineer, uh, there's a lot of downtime. I didn't really have any clients to train. So um, got my first job at a startup as a, a web developer. Um, and luckily enough, uh, they had an opportunity to also work on their React Native app. I knew nothing nice. about React Native. <laughs> I didn't even know that uh, I could write uh, re uh, uh, mobile apps in JavaScript. And so, um, so I learned on the job and I worked on that app for about a year. Um, that was an amazing experience. Uh, and that alone got me my next job, um, which, um, was at a company called network, um, spelled N T W R K. Um, and I worked there for about a year and a half. And uh, they are essentially a, a live streaming shopping platform for Gen Z. Uh, really cool app. They sell collectibles, uh, sneakers, stuff like this. Um, this was kind of like my first uh, introduction to TypeScript. And then uh, after about a year and a half, I decided that it was time to move on to the next chapter, and that's where I'm currently at now. Um, I'm at a company called Lark. They are a, um, a, a they specialize in um, healthcare and diabetes prevention, um, we, and we also use artificial intelligence. It's like the hot topic of today, right? And we're, we're actually in the middle of um, uh, working with uh, ChatGPT, um, using some of the open AI tools that they're providing. Um, so some really exciting technology that I've been able to to work on, um, but yeah, that's my that's my story in a nutshell. Yeah, I mean that, that's it's so cool when you have like an interesting story and and not just say hey I've been working at I don't know Audi for ten years now. Right. I mean that's cool and impressive and I know, but I don't know you. How old are you? You're I'm twenty. Yeah, so also still uh, pretty young. I feel like. That's our generation who doesn't really like to stick with one job for very long. Like my parents or so, I think my mom worked in her job for like 50 years or something, or maybe like, yeah, probably 50 wow. years, like from getting started at 17 until the very end. Um, and I feel like this is not a common thing that our generation is doing anymore. So I'm 33. I, I mean, I haven't worked a whole lot in my life because I went self-employment uh, like seven years ago. Nice. But before that, I was the same. I'm, I could never really picture myself working 20 years for the same company. I'm, I don't know. It's, it's probably a thing of our generation. Yeah, and also I think for our industry, one of the reasons why I was so excited about becoming a software engineer were, was all of the things that I got to learn. Every day felt new. There was a new challenge um, every single day. And I feel that, um, uh, working at the same job and on the same project kind of <laughs> takes away from that a little bit. And I, I don't yeah. know, maybe switching it up just 
brings a little bit more excitement. Yeah, I, I mean, working at an agency or something is probably also pretty cool. So I talked to Aaron uh, Bereskin before, who's also doing like world-class apps. They did the, the pump app for Arnold Schwarzenegger and something mm. like that. So if you can like work on these giant apps, I think that's pretty cool because I mean, they might take a year or something, uh, but then you also transition to the next big thing. Then he made a, a huge Bible application or something. Uh, so, so that stuff is really interesting. Um, but uh, Lark sounds a bit like, is it somehow related? I know my, my what is it called? My Body Tutor or something? Isn't that like the biggest thing in the US that people use to like get in shape and, and they, they got like their private tutor telling them what you ate and then they tell you, okay, you should probably eat this and that and do that sports. Is it like that? Is Lark like that? Uh, it's, it sounds kind of similar. I haven't heard of that app. Um, is it My Body Tutor? My Body Tutorial. I'll have to look into that. Uh, but Lark, um, so we we actually team up with healthcare providers. One of our um, big clients is Anthem, and um, they are actually in charge of um, signing up users onto our app. and And we use AI, like you like you suggested, to provide recommendations um, on you know, how to live a healthy lifestyle. Mm -hmm. um, it's really cool. We've seen a lot of great progress with some of our users um they they find it really useful um so it's it's fulfilling uh in a lot of ways yeah that, that, that's great and that's i think one of the common themes i got the impression from your twitter uh, account and reading through a bunch of your tweets that you're not only into like working your ass off but also into becoming a software like a solopreneur or doing some some sort of indie hacking um You had some some interesting uh, quotes you, you put out. Um, one I actually liked that I wanted to pick up and, and highly quote retweeted here on the pod is that the biggest advantage uh, you can get is to get in physical shape. And I can so much quote this. So I was overweight for all my life. And about two or three years, like after the when, when COVID started, I, I started losing weight and I lost about, I don't know, 20 kilos at this point. Wow. And at this point, um, I, st I stopped uh, smoking back then. Uh, I don't drink alcohol anymore. So I went like the full athlete mode. And I just feel so great every morning. Uh, this morning, I, I, I ran a 10K. Like that's my usual distance. And for some people, that's like way beyond what they can do. And for me, it's like the, the usual Tuesday morning training. And it's just so much more than just being in physical shape. I think you, you said it in a tweet as well. It's like your whole confidence, you, your attitude to, to what you're capable of changes when, when you're in good physical shape. And I don't know if this comes back from your, your time as a PT or if this is something you, you picked up as a software engineer over the years. Um, well, first off, that's an incredible story. Uh, <laughs> Thanks. And I, can, I can relate. Um, when I was younger, uh, I know I'm still young now, but in high school more so. I also lost quite a bit of weight. Um, we use pounds. So I want to say it's probably probably around uh, the same, 20 kilos. Um, yeah, it's like 12 pounds, I guess, 10, 8, 9. I don't know, well, something. It's, it's, it's like I, I always... I think kilos to pounds is 2.2 um, <laughs> times the key, one kilo. <laughs> I don't know, some crazy conversion. <laughs> For all, all the American listeners, it was like about 40 pounds actually that I lost. Oh, um, crazy. And so, yeah, I, you know, I've, I've experienced that life where um, you're unhealthy and um, 
just being in in good physical shape, uh, taking care of your body, um, it just I feel it just it it changes your perception of, of just everything in the world. Really, um, I think an easy way to put it is it's just one less very important thing that you have to worry about, and it allows you to think about um, other things. You know, having mm-hmm. good health is such a it's such a staple that I feel everybody should. Um, prioritize once you once you figure that out once you've got your routine once you have a healthy body um, you can actually start focusing on uh, other I guess less important goals it also um, you'll see that it also uh, reflects in your relationships in your work Um, that's the way I perceive it yeah it's 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 so much more as well um I have a daughter as well. She's she's now five, and, and my wife and I are really very active, and like as I said, pretty much every day doing sports in the morning. And to her, this is now natural. Like this is this is this thing. Just yeah, dad is outside working outside in the in the garden gym, or yeah, you're going for a run today. And what are you doing today? It's like it's it's so natural to her. And when she grows up, she knows how. Like for some people, they tell, oh, I need to get back to the gym. I haven't been to the gym for three weeks, and. Like, like they tell it like it's a burden to them, but actually it's, it's like a, just a good habit. It's just a thing of my day. It's, it's not something I add to my day. It is just part of my day. And, and that's what I teach her and I don't have to teach it. I'm, I'm just doing it. And I mean, that, that's how you pass things along to your children. Yeah. I, I don't have any children myself, but that is, that would be my intention as well. Um, they're going to, I mean, your daughter's going to grow up just thinking that that's going to be part of her life. She doesn't have to try, you know, she just is going to think like, okay, I, I have, like, I'm going to do something active today. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, just to, just to quit this up because we want to also get into some technical stuff, yeah, of, course. of course. Um, uh, we, we have some, some people around me and they're like 30 ish, 40 ish. They, they start having back pain. And they, they, it's so bad, they can't carry their children. And they just don't do something about it. And you, I'm here, sitting here, is like super sporty. And I know you don't have to do this. Like, you have to just go out twice or three times a week. Just do something. But if you, in your 40s, and you can't carry or, or pick up your child because your back hurts so much and you're not doing something about it, then sorry, but you, you have certainly wrong priorities in your life. That's tough. Yeah, it's, and it's it's hard because uh, I'd say, you know, there are more than more than not, uh, more often than not, are people not uh, not in shape, uh, not yeah. able to pick up their children. Um, it's become a trend. Um, so, yeah, this is us advocating for. Uh, uh, I know software engineers are listening to this. Prioritize your health. It's it's important. Uh, take a break from, from the screen and, um, yeah, work on yourself. I can also vote for getting a treadmill. So I have a flexible desk that I can put up and then I have a, a treadmill under my desk. So I'm walking basically while doing some calls or writing emails. And that usually helps me to already get to 10 K steps per day, plus all the other stuff I do. So yeah, another trick for software developers listening to this, but I want to ask you something. I saw you recently burned 200 bucks on the Google Places API. Can you tell us what happened? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I, I'm working on this app. Um, uh, essentially, I, my, my fiance actually came up with this idea. Um, 
we have a really hard time making decisions like I think a lot of couples do, uh, mm-hmm. especially when it comes to like eating out or like going to see a movie, something like this. So I thought, how cool would it be to create a, a an app that you can connect with your partner or even groups of people where, you know, it, let's say you wanted to go out uh, to dinner, you give it a, a, a specific category like you would do in Yelp. Uh, I want to get uh, Chinese food and you're uh you're given a list of, of options um, of the best Chinese food around you and you and your partner or whoever else is in your group or party are swiping left and right on options until you guys uh, uh, have a, a match, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, um, I'm currently building out this app and one of the issues that I'm running into is uh, actually querying the data. I've, I've, there are a couple of options. I've tried Yelp's API. Uh, found it to be a bit limiting. And then uh, the Google Places API, I just started playing with it about a week and a half ago. Um, and I checked my billing. Uh, it's just been me building this thing and I got billed $200. Uh, so I'm not sure that that's going to be a good option for me moving forward. Uh, I definitely don't want to build it or, or put it into production and then get billed like $100,000. So I'll... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I'll maybe have to play with it a little bit more to just to see if maybe I'm I'm querying too much, but I don't know. It's yeah, it sounds like I mean you shouldn't get to 200 that fast. Yeah, I know. I I think part of the the issue is that I was querying for 10 photos per restaurant. Mm. It adds up really quickly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that might be the case. Um, yeah. So yeah, people be aware of that. Always set a spending limit in your Google account. Uh, I, I I recently hit the same with OpenAI and the API. Um, so yeah, one morning I got an email that I'm at my maximum. So <laughs> always be careful and put put in spending limits. Uh, same for Firebase, by the way. I, I heard bad stories about people using Firebase and then getting like a huge bill afterwards. So be Oof. careful with that. Yeah, um, I think it happens more often than not, right? It it does. Apparently, it does. So I, I had a question because on your profile it said I build iOS apps, but I know you're a React Native developer. So okay. usually React Native developers doing cross-platform, doing universal stuff. Um, you're you're saying especially you're an iOS developer. Um, could you explain why? Yeah. Uh, so I, I do. I like you said. I am a React Native developer. I do build cross-platform apps. Uh, the reason why I wrote iOS developer in my bio was to uh, more so um, speak to a greater iOS developer audience. I found that a lot of my followers were also building with Swift. Um, mm-hmm. And so, um, yeah, I guess to kind of um, uh, that that was kind of like my the market that I specifically wanted to tweet or speak to. Um, while building. Um, but, uh, I, here and there, I may start adding in some more Android specific content. Um, but that, that's mainly the reason why yeah, I was, I was thinking lately, I noticed a trend among, let's say indie hackers that even if they use cross-platform technologies, Flutter, Capacitor, React Native, that they kind of still focus on iOS because that's actually where you make most of your money. Uh, so it's cool to have an Android app, and yeah, you can reach more people. 
but usually like 80 or 90 percent of the income is actually generated on ios so i, w I was thinking uh, because you also uh, said you're sort of an indie hacker and trying to create your own projects that you're also focusing on ios but i guess your applications with lark and um, the previous ones you work will work completely cross-platform for all the platforms Correct. Yeah. Yeah. I have a lot of experience working with the Google Play Store. Um, we yeah. And, and all of our uh, minor major uh, app versions and upgrades were all um, all done in both iOS and Android. Uh, nice. Yeah. But uh, I think you, you're still more in love with iOS because I saw that you tweeted a lot about the, the Apple guidelines. So the Apple styling guidelines are interesting. Um, they're like a like a style guide of how you or how Apple wants you to style your native applications, I think. Is, is, is that the best way to describe them? Yeah, it's like, it's like their guideline on how an iOS app should look and feel, a native one. Um, right. And, and there's a problem with React Native that you stumbled upon, uh, which is that this stuff is actually not that easy with React Native, right? It's not, yeah, and, and I was really surprised. Uh, I think it was a couple months back when I realized that uh, there was not really an easy way to just pull in a um, an iOS-specific button or text um, based off of but, their, their guidelines. But, but, but what are we getting with React Native if we use, like, the button and then it com compiles in, in iOS? Aren't we getting, like, the default button? Or is there something else that Swift developers have access to? No, no, it's not the fact that we're getting a different button. We are getting the same native button. It's more so the styling. It's for the developer that actually wants to go uh, and build their app based off of those iOS guidelines. Uh, there is no public library that actually exists for React Native developers that allows you to use these um, iOS-specific styles in your mm. buttons, your text, your um, padding, uh, stuff like this, even colors. Mm, interesting. Yeah, I, I don't know, but maybe on Flutter it's it's implemented with, like, they have a Cupertino theme for your components, I guess. That's how they produce this. But for React Native, I haven't seen this. I've seen the usual stuff with Tamagui, Native Wind, with, with Tailwind, um, whatever is, is popular right now, Uni Styles. But um, so are, are you working? Are you taking on this project of creating a styling library for that problem? I am, yeah. I'm in the middle nice. of creating this library. Um, it's going to be called uh, React Native UI Kit. Um, ah, no, no, another puzzle piece for yeah <laughs> yeah it'll be I, I think it'll be cool um i'm unsure how much traction it will get but uh, i'm hoping to publish the first version within the next month or so it's going to include all the basic stuff like like buttons and colors and um and and, and spacing and typography uh, it'll have all of uh apple's design guideline variants and whatnot and so um i'm hoping that This is a, a this will be a good way for um, React Native developers to get a um, a very Apple feeling app up and running as fast as possible. Yeah, I mean, I mean, that is something I've been looking for the whole time. So my background is in Capacita and Ionic. I don't know if you heard about Ionic before. It's it's a framework for also creating cross platform apps, and they have this concept of adaptive styling. So you, you use like an ion button or an ion card 
And when your code runs as an Android app, it looks like the card styled on Android. And if it runs on iOS, it looks like the iOS styled version. So you're automatically getting like the right platform feeling for your application. And I was always looking for something like that for React Native. So would it be possible with a version two to also include Android in that project, like also incorporating sort of the Android style guide? Absolutely. I think that's that's a great idea. Um, I don't see why that shouldn't be included as well. Um, like you said, I, I mostly tweet about iOS, so I think that's why I was focusing on that specifically. But I've also studied the Android design guidelines as well. Um, I don't see why that couldn't be a possibility. Oh, nice. So I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to this React Native UI kit. I couldn't found it, find it so far, but I guess you made it private so far. It's private, yeah. You know that the name was actually um, it was actually already used by somebody, but they hadn't done anything to it for like eight years. So I messaged npm and they gave me the rights to the name, which I'm really pleased by. Oh, uh, cool. So, so I, I'm currently uh, I'm the owner of 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 that name, <laughs> and hopefully we'll have it up and running in a month or so. So creating a library like that is it is it hard? I mean, I haven't really created any good libraries. I'm usually the I don't know, the, the facilitator of showing people how to use other people's library, like I'm the man in the middle. Is it hard to do a library like that? I know, example, for, for Tamagui, Nate is doing a lot of compiler stuff and optimizing the styles, so, I don't know, diff elements are removed and it becomes more performant. Are you doing anything like that with React Native UI Kit, or is it more like a, like a basic library? No, I, I definitely plan to incorporate performance as well. Um, I think for me, like... Um, and this kind of goes with my philosophy on uh, that this solopreneur thing where I'm just trying to like build something very basic as fast as possible and um, see if it's proven, see if people will actually use it and then optimize as I move as I go forward. And I think that's kind of the general approach I'm going to take with React Native UI Kit. I want to build a very basic foundation with the iOS style guidelines. Hopefully it gains some traction if I see people use it and there's actual interest in something like this. And I'll definitely continue to add um, and make it more performant. And um, yeah, I, I, that's, kind of, that's kind of what I'm going for. Yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to that. Please let us know when it's released, post it on Twitter. Um, I, will, I will check it out and maybe use it in one of my videos. Absolutely. Um, so, so this is just one of your projects. It seems like you're, you're trying a bunch of different things, which is like the indie hacker way, uh, throwing stuff at the wall and seeing what sticks. Um, you're doing the React Native UI kit uh, library. You're working on the application uh, with or for your girlfriend. And I also saw that you are or were working on a React Native Superbase template. Is that still uh, in, in progress or is it already done? <laughs> The React Native Superbase template is done. Um, I, I haven't made it public yet. Um, although, thank you for reminding me. <laughs> the the good pro old problem of, of yeah, indie yeah. <laughs> You know what happens is, you know, I, I'm, I'm working on a project. I see something that could be useful. Um, and, um, you know, I forget to, like, fork it from my current project. So that this Re React Native Superbase t template, it's currently in my other project. And I just need to separate the two. But yeah, I feel like I've always, you know, it, like you said, it's the life of the indie hacker, right? You're just kind of building something, throw it at the wall, see what sticks. And that's what, that's kind of my game plan right now. So aside from uh, my current employer, uh, my sort of, 
I, I don't know how you say it, work away from work, is building these small apps. My goal is to become a, a, a full-time uh, entrepreneur, solopreneur. Um, I want to be uh, entirely self-employed. Um, and uh, I'm just kind of, my goal is to just kind of create this portfolio of small bets, small applications, and, um, and using React Native to do that. Um, so uh, along with that, I'm also um, in the beginning stages of teaching about um, EAS and um, how to build apps um, as fast and easy as possible. Um, I think there's a real market for that. I think people really are interested in, in something like that. And EAS makes it really, really easy to, to build apps these days. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I also vote for Expo. It's it's a it's a great service. Um, and just this morning, I, I also worked on something relatable, which is Expo native modules. Um, they have a place in their documentation. But if you look up anything on Google, you will just get pointers to their documentation. So uh, I've been working on a new course for, for Galaxies. And it's so interesting because it's actually like not too hard it it's challenging enough that people are scared away i guess from creating their own native modules but once you do it it's pretty magical like i've been able to create my own native ui view and ui label in swift and then di display this component in my react native application with a local module and my mind was like <laughs> like i know that it's possible but once you see how easy it is um, it's become so much better. And EAS is the same. I, I've used it before, and I know companies are using it, so it's not like a fancy feature. It's something that actual companies are using in production. Absolutely, especially for just uh, self-starting developers or people who are just building by themselves. EAS and Expo makes it so easy to just to, to deploy and update and continue to um, build on top of your application. I feel more people need to know about it. So that's really what I want to do is just continue to, to spread that knowledge um, and and help people help people build apps. Yeah, and, and for everyone who also wants to become self-employed or um, I mean as a software developer we have the perfect conditions for that. Like sometimes we even have remote jobs and, and we can like take some time off for our own projects. Or anyway, we can always use the skills that we learn at a job and then at night work on our own projects and I don't want to make this sound easy because the, the space got actually a bit more challenging. It's not like you can throw up some shitty MVP page or a super shitty app anymore these days. Like people expect some sort of quality. Um, but that doesn't mean it's not possible anymore. So if you want it, I think with consistency and, and just like putting in the reps every day, it's definitely still possible. No matter if you want to teach stuff, become a YouTuber, create a successful niche application, like there are so many ways how you can, how you can approach it. And just like you started as a PT and then became a software engineer, probably you don't know exactly how you're going to earn your uh, solopreneur income yet, but just exploring the different ways and then seeing what feels good to you. It, I mean, that's a valid way. Um, and, and to me as well, like, as I said, I'm seven, I don't know, seven, six years self-employed. And I still question a lot of the things that I do. I don't know if this or that is important. Um, but I learned over the last year from the podcast or what's it called? The pathless path. I think from Paul Miller, there's a great book 
that you don't always have to have a strict path to some, something. Like, you can just wander around in the world and just making sense of what you're currently working in. It's not like I have the master plan. I haven't figured out stuff I can tell you. I can have 60,000 followers on YouTube. I haven't figured out anything uh, beyond that. So um, just enjoying the journey and, and getting better is, is what I can, can tell you from being seven years ahead of you. <laughs> Yeah, I appreciate that. I believe in that too. I think, um, yeah, one of my life's philosophies is, um, yeah, you know, I don't like to, I don't like to force myself to do things that I don't want to do. And I kind of, I also kind of like to wander and then just gravitate toward whatever I find I'm passionate about. And I feel that um, when I do focus on the work that I am passionate about, I turn out, it turns out to be much more successful than forcing myself to do the work that I find. Yeah. Uh, you know, monotonous and just not as yeah. fun. A hundred percent agree. Yeah. You just need to find that. Uh, and, and sometimes you find the perfect intersection of what, what you really care about and, and what people are interested in and, and paying for. And then, then you hit a gold mine. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I said before in the, in the starting of this podcast that, uh, that this podcast is sometimes a bit like indie hackers, more technical. So, I would love to know before we wrap it up um, what your stack actually looks like because you've been working on this project which you haven't forked with a, with a super base backend but it sounds like it's like a, a greenfield application you could use whatever packages you wanted so uh, what, what was your combination of tools and packages and, and in general the technology stack that you used for that project yeah definitely um, so uh, React Native, I'm using Expo um, and EAS tools, um, EAS build, update, um, and submit. Um, Superbase is the back end. That's, that's pretty typical for me. Any apps that I build, I, I like to use Superbase. It's just so easy to get up and running. Did, did you use anything else before? Um, I have experience. Yeah, yeah. Firebase was one, but I, I stopped using that just because Google is so unpredictable. Uh, <laughs> I don't want to go through the headache of, of needing to um, uh, transfer all of my all my stuff to, to Superbase, which is where I'm at now. Um, in MongoDB, um, I have a lot of uh, MySQL experience as well. Um, but my stack currently yeah, includes Expo with EAS. Superbase is the back end. TypeScript always, um, and I mean that's kind of basic in terms of like style. I I haven't played with Tamagui yet. I know that's getting getting a lot of traction. I personally like um, using custom styles in my own uh, in-house libraries. Uh, I find that part one of the most enjoyable uh, parts of of de development for me. Um, and then uh, I think that's that's pretty much. It, that's like the foundation of every single one of my projects. Any other uh, state management or specific libraries the application is using? Yeah, that's thank you uh, for reminding me. So um, I guess when I first started, I was using the basic out-of-the-box context API. Um, I have experience with Redux. Most recently, I've really enjoyed using a state manager called Jotai. Um, I don't know if you have experience with it. You, you seem to be familiar. Uh, it's really easy. Uh, they it, it, It's built off of selectors. Um, there's these things called atoms where you can reference anywhere in your app. Uh, I find it really helpful and, and easy to use. Um, so that's that's currently what I'm what I'm using for for state management. Yeah, I I used. Uh... 
Zustand, which I think the, the Americans would call Zustand. Oh, uh, yeah. But it's a German word, which actually means state. Um, and the same is, I think, true for yotai. As far as I know from my Japanese friend, that yotai also means state in Japanese. <laughs> I, they, I, um, I did not know that. I, yeah, I think they are pretty similar and in terms of they're quite easy to use and not context-based and more performant than Redux because Redux is kind of overkill. I think people noticed this over the years. They're just still using it because a lot of their existing legacy applications are using it. But if you're starting out anything, you, yeah, Yotai or uh, Zustand, no, I'm telling you, Zustand are getting my role <laughs> as well. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you. Uh, I, like I said, I, I've used Redux in production applications, but find it to be a bit overkill, especially for like the indie hacker. Uh, mm -hmm. I, I don't, I don't find it uh, as necessary. I, I found it interesting that Superbase is really like, it's finally coming through. So I've been following Superbase now for, I don't know, three, four years. I really used their beta and then I made tutorials and like nobody was using it back then and it was kind of like a bet on something. But at this point, I think they did a lot of great marketing, of course. They did like these launch weeks and huge events. Um, they're pretty active on Twitter about that. And now, as far as I know, they're moving also forward into the React Native ecosystem. They had some issues with React Native. I don't know. Did you experience any Superbase-related problems with React Native? Not at all. You know, there's actually some really great Expo-specific documentation on Superbase. They make it really easy to add authentication and, uh, and working with your database directly. Uh, I found it really easy. Yeah, I think the biggest problem I had when I tried it the last time or tried to use user authentication is that, I mean, it's not a Superbase problem, but you usually get a confirmation email link from Superbase. And mm -hmm. if you don't implement something uh, like deep links for your app, that stuff's not going to work. So <laughs> um, I see, you know, adding deep links is always a pain in the backside for, for most developers as it's really challenging. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I actually I haven't incorporated deep links in the current project that I'm working on now. I decided to use um, phone auth with Superbase, um, so that allowed me to kind of skip that um, email uh, authentication flow. How how does that work? Don't you have to plug in like Twilio or some other API that's sending stuff to your phone? Yes. So. Um, you do have to incorporate Twilio. You give it your SID, um, but it's pretty easy. I mean, it works kind of out of the box. You give uh, Superbase your SID from Twilio. There's really not much other configuration that you need to do. You might need to like purchase a phone number, um, but it's really, really simple. Uh, so you tried like the, the developer mode so far, not the production mode of Twilio. Is it like free for testing? Um, it is up into a certain point. Um, I think you can send like X number of messages per day uh, and then to like X number of, of other phone numbers to send to per day. Um, I am using a production version of it, um, but it's really easy, really simple. Huh. And, and Superbase has some great documentation. And I guess your React Native app doesn't really have to work with Twilio at all, right? It's, it's just Superbase and Superbase verification, right? That's correct. Yeah, and Superbase handles all of the the um, the the users, um, the user management. Um, so it's really easy. You can you don't really need to interact with Twilio outside of. 
the app itself, which is really nice. That's so cool. Yeah, I, I never thought about using that, but I mean, I, I really like it. And I guess one one verification, how much is it? Like pennies and cents? Oh, I don't know. Uh, uh, fractions of a penny. <laughs> and I guess you don't have like a thousand users signing up per day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I, I don't. I don't. Although that would be a good problem to have. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Luckily, I haven't gotten that $200 uh, Twilio bill like I've gotten with Google Places. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my. I have one last question before we wrap up. This is a, this is a very specific one um, because I always ask myself this. So when I use phone authentication with some service, I, I sign up with my phone number. I get this email. Uh, I get the, the SMS or whatever. I usually get a pop-up in that application that says, hey, do you want to paste this number 5678 something from your message into this input field? Right. Does this work with React Native? Does this require any setup? I have no idea how that feature works and is honestly one of the best things on iOS. I know. I always see tweets like, this is the best feature Apple has released <laughs> in the last 10 years. I couldn't agree more. It really is that easy. Um, and to answer your question... It works out of the box. Oh, it's amazing. So let's say you have um, a screen on your React Native app where you're asking the user to input their six-digit code for I don't know how. <laughs> I guess just magic of Steve Jobs. You're on this screen and you automatically get that six-digit code pop right up above your keyboard. I think that's that's the prompt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you just click it and it goes right into your into your uh, React Native app. It's amazing. I get, I don't know if you have like multiple input fields, would you have to mark one field for that input? How? I don't, <laughs> I don't ask questions. It, it, it works yeah. and I just, I move on to the next problem. It, don't it ask works. questions if you don't want to hear the answer. Yeah. Exactly, yes, yes. I need to save some of that mental space for things <laughs> that are actually uh, important. You know, I, I but I mean, it, Again, I can't iterate this enough. React Native and Expo, it's so easy to, to build an app these days, especially with Superbase. Um, oh, my. Yeah. Oh, my. Uh, you, you just once again uh, flamed the spark, spark the flame, I don't know, of, of using Superbase. I definitely have to create a new. Maybe I will just do a live stream this week because I enjoy it so much. I, don't, I mean, I don't enjoy writing the, the SQL code and the role-level security, but as far as I heard, They're actually working on something to make that easier. Have you have you seen that as well? Yeah, the RLS policies. There's actually yeah. like when you want to create a new RLS policy, they actually have um, like conf uh, already pre-configured uh, prompts yeah. that you can press on. So it says like restrict user-specific access to this uh, this this row. You click it. It it already has all the SQL code uh, created for you. You just press confirm and it's it's already configured yeah they're like superbase if you haven't tried it for everyone listening give it a try they move so fast um they also have a local environment by now so you can spin this up with docker i tried this a few weeks ago and after some problems with docker as i usually don't use docker um, i made this work and i had my local superbase instance and local data and then i could link it to my real project and like There's pretty much no reason at this point to use Firebase, so uh, I feel the same. unless you have unless you have reasons for it. Right, of course. 
All right. So, um, by the way, I want to wrap this up with the second best feature of iOS, which is, by the way, if I go into my authenticator app and get a six-digit code, I can just copy it there and 0.1 second later press Command V on my Mac and it inputs that number magically. Oh. In <laughs> Apple, uh, it's they they are doing some amazing things. They've been for years. I mean, they they did some bad stuff and then some like when Xcode updating is certainly not a fun. Um, but yeah, they they have some pretty cool stuff. For example, especially the stuff you don't expect. Like this, I don't expect that to work, and it usually works. Or like sharing my network configuration with my wife when I'm like when we're in Airbnb. I'm already, of course, instantly locked into the network when we arrive there before unpacking anything else. And then when she tries to log in, I can just press on my phone to share the con. Like it's how I don't know. <laughs> Another one of my favorite features that I, I don't know gets a lot of attention is uh, if you have two Macs um, next to each other. Um, it I, I didn't even realize this was a thing, but I was I was on one Mac and I couldn't find my mouse. And I look over to my other screen and for whatever reason, my mouse was on my other laptop and I was controlling it from my, my first trackpad. <laughs> And it just it knew where my Mac was on my desk. And it was just amazing. I had no idea this was even a feature. Uh, I assume you could also like drag and drop files from one to the other Mac. Yes. yes. <laughs> crazy. Oh, my. This is crazy. Uh, this, this was a great episode. Um, I really enjoyed talking with you, Brendan. Th thanks so much for taking the time. I know it's 7 a.m. It's probably now 8 a.m. your time. So you can... Uh, confidently start your day. I know you've been in, in the Starbucks line already at 5 a.m. So <laughs> once again, uh, thank you so much for joining. Where, where can people find more out about you if they want to follow you? Yeah, um, people can find me on Twitter. Uh, my my username is brand, B-R-A-N underscore Aust, A-U-S-T. Um, and soon I'll be releasing YouTube tutorials. You'll be able to find them there um, on my Twitter as well. Um, yeah, I, it was a pleasure hopping on the podcast with you, Simon. I, I really appreciate you giving me the opportunity. Yeah, thanks. Uh, I, I'm looking forward to React Native UI Kit. So when this is released, definitely let us know. And everyone, make sure to to follow Brendan on Twitter. Going to put uh, all of the links we talked about in the show notes. And of course, also check out galaxies.dev, where I probably, when this episode is live, already have a new course on uh, Expo modules. So go check it out, galaxies.dev for React Native courses. So. Thanks, Brendan, and talk to you soon. Bye-bye.